Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 30% off your new account for three months, go to Squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP3. This week on TWIP, a deeper look at Pinterest in the interest of photographers. The Daily Mirror steals a photograph to illustrate an article about a serial killer and an interview with photographer Dan Applin. It's Wednesday, March 21st, 2012, and this is TWIP. And welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today on the show are Mr. Derek Story and Mr. Steve Simon back from the Netherlands or wherever he was. Uh, we're going to be talking about copyright and serial killers and all sorts of stuff on the show. So uh, this is the perfect crew to dive into that stuff. So hey guys, welcome. Good to be here. Hey, Steve. Yeah. Hey, Derek. You guys are like, we're not the perfect crew to talk about. <laughs> well, I don't want to talk about copyright. <laughs> yeah, Derek was acquitted. I don't know what you're talking about. Copyright and serial killers. Yes, I really yeah. want to talk about that. But it's important. You know, we got we to gotta have our vegetables with the meat. We had all the meat last week with the announcements, and this week we have some copyright. So we got to have a well-balanced meal for the audience. Um, sort of like the S Magazine of photography today. <laughs> something. <laughs> something. But it's good. It's education. We I missed all education. the meat last week. And Me I'm too, hungry. Stephen. I'm, you know. hungry. <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> That's awesome. So, Steve, what have you been up to? So you've been, uh, you've been flying all over the world and doing all sorts of cool stuff, right? What's going on? Well, I've been traveling a little bit, but uh, I thought I would bring up the fact that I was at Gulf Photo Plus in Dubai nice. because for photographers, it's just a, 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 an unequaled event. I mean, man, the people that were there, this year they had Joe McNally, uh, Zach Arias was there, Bobby Lane, um, Gregory Heisler, oh my God. And they had the legendary photojournalist uh, David Burnett was there. Um, advertising photographer Canadian based in Mumbai, Martin Prohada. I'm just reading the list. I don't want to miss anybody. Yeah. Uh, David Nightingale and uh, Chris Hurt. So it was just a, a great group of people. And, um, you know, it's it's just – have you been to Dubai? It's kind of crazy there. I, I have not been to Dubai. That's that's for the, the adventure seekers of the world. It's like you, Steve. <laughs> well, it's uh, – Derek, it's, it's like Vegas, really, except – Really? You're except in a Muslim for, country. Except uh, much farther, too. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I've seen pictures of Dubai, and, you know, I want to go stand on the world's tallest building over there, but I, uh, I just don't, I don't see Vegas there. I see really, <laughs> I kind of think, when I look at Dubai, I look like, a, I, look, I think of it as an oversized Las Vegas city center. You know, they built that new area of Las Vegas as a city center. That's what I think of Dubai times like 5 million. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. I mean, the Vegas part is just sort of the fantasy of it all. I mean, the architecture there is just amazing. And just what they've been able to achieve in such a short time in terms of building this place up. What, what, what a little money won't do. Yeah. Um, I, I, I want to find that out someday. I want to know what money can do. But <laughs> I don't. 
But anyway, it was it was just a great event. So and, what what you know, was your talk on, Steve? What did you do? Well, I mean, I I've been doing this workshop based on my book called The Passion of Photographers. So I did an advanced one, and I did a beginning one, and I did a one day one. But uh, there were a lot of flash guys there as well, as I mentioned. So mm-hmm. That seems to be of interest to a lot of people. People people come, you know, there are a lot of people, a lot of expats there, a lot of locals. And then people just make the trip because it's just a, a very intimate um, uh, sort of surrounding. You get to talk to everybody, all these guys. I mean, Joe McNally's there. You can't make direct eye contact with him, but you can talk to him if you're really nice. <laughs> And you know, so you get a chance. It's like to looking talk into the sun. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But but it, it really is a great event. And and what I thought I would tell you about because every year they have this shootout. And I got to tell you, I mean, it's not something that I would want to do. And what it is is they get uh, they they get three photographers to volunteer. And this year it was David Hobby, the strobist. I don't even know if I mentioned David Hobby, but he was there. Um, Martin Prohada. And uh, who's a, a great advertising, uh, and uh, Gregory Heisler, who um, you know sort of needs no introduction, one of the legendary uh, photographers. So here's the deal: it's uh, there's 200 people in an auditorium. Uh, the three people are sort of sequestered outside. They come in, and they're given an assignment, which they have to create on the stage. And because these guys are kind of lighting guys, you know, they basically have to make a picture on stage. And uh, this year. You know, they're always looking for difficult assignments. To I mean, give but them. are they giving them the raw materials or do they just put them on a bare stage and say, make some cool Pretty stuff? much a bare stage. Some years, they'll, they'll, there's a model there. I mean, they have access to equipment, you know, flash equipment, et cetera, their cameras. But, um, you know, they, it's up to them. I mean, they could bring uh, props, but, you know, they don't know what the assignment's going to be. So, you know, this year, they, they were looking for, like, what's the subject that photographers often sort of hate? And... This year, that was that subject. It's taking a picture of yourself. Oh, self-portraits. Self-portrait. Oh, wow. Have you guys ever tried a self-portrait? Uh, yeah, I've done some. Okay. Well, I mean, you're a good-looking guy. It's probably not uh, – and Derek, too, of course. I, I haven't had much luck with the <laughs> self-portrait. Uh, it's, it's, it's awkward. It never – you know, when I look at it, I, I go, oh, my God, I, I can't release this anywhere. Yeah. It's, it's a serious form of photography, of course, but I think not one that a lot of photographers – I mean, you know, we like being behind the camera, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when I, when I do self-portraits, it's more, more of, okay, I need a shot for Facebook, you know, for my, well, yeah, my no, avatar I'm, or something. You know, it's not – I'm talking more of the art realm. You yeah. Know, just sort of you sort of, you know, in space or I, I don't know how you would – portray yourself uh fred but uh is larger than life looming over the earth of course of course that's how everyone else thinks of you that's what i hope yeah in in my own mind so steve so you've been so that so so how was it you when did you get back uh i just got back but i just wanted to sort of tell you about how that went i mean it was it was very interesting so they each had like 20 minutes to shoot a 20 minute time limit it's Mm -hmm. tethered so the image that they shoot goes up on the screen with 200 eyes watching you. So David Hobby, you know, the social media guy, his idea was to sort of photograph himself kind of with his iPhone, uh, lit by iPads. So he got uh, people in the audience with their iPads to come over and sort of light him. And he ended up using just like two iPads to to light. Uh, He he used a stand-in and then he got uh, Zach Arias to sort of do the shot of, of him. And, you know, I thought it was great. It, it came out really good. 20 minutes, boom. I mean, that's pressure, don't you think? That's, that's pressure. It's like a wedding. 
<laughs> yeah, or worse, or worse. Yeah. So then Martin Perhada came out. He he brought he brought like a plant and whatever. Anyway, so when he found out it was going to be a self-portrait, he had a flashlight and he got uh, he put himself on the stage. He put himself next next to the plant, and then he got Bobby Lane to sort of light paint him. Mm. So you have twenty minutes. So she was like light painting and did a few, and then finally, you know, cho- chose one. You know, used up the twenty minutes. I think the shot was really, really now, cool. Steve. Were they able to do anything with the images post production? Like, did like well, multiple you know, exposures I, I'm and all tell that stuff? You, guys that you will be able to see the shootout. They're going to post the video um, on YouTube. So, so this will be available, and I, I would suggest that you guys, you know, so you know the Martin Prohada shot really came out, you know, kind of cool. But I guess I'm leading up to the fact that Gregory Heisler is this master photographer, and I got to tell you. Um, those guys did fantastically, you know, did way better than I would ever dream of doing. But going up against Gregory Heisler is like, you know, one-on-one with Michael Jordan. I mean, it's not something that you really want to do. So Gregory Heisler found out, okay, self-portrait. And, um, and he immediately said that, you know, he's just very uncomfortable being photographed. So he was going to do something a little bit different. And, uh, so he borrowed, uh, David Burnett, who's the great, photojournalist he's got all these different cameras he had a four by five speed graphic there mm. so so heisler you know was kind of pacing for like 10 minutes and and you know really wasn't sure what he was going to do um but then suddenly sort of okay he's going to do something representative so he took i don't know if you know gregory heisler but he always wears kind of a signature kind of hat so he put this hat on top of the speed graphic and uh, okay, well that that was pretty cool. And he took one sort of you know softbox and put it over. And then he took his glasses, which again are very identifiable to him. And you know, time was ticking. It was like eighteen minutes, and the the tension was starting to build. And was he even going to take a picture? And then he decided. You know, people thought, oh, he's going to put the glasses on the camera. But he actually, you know, held the he he had a little stand and held the glasses in front of in front of his camera. And at, the, at about the 18 minute, 30 second mark, one click. And then this amazing, <laughs> nice, nice, one this amazing click. shot popped up and everybody knew, you know, I mean, this was, it was, I'm not telling the story very well, but you guys will get to see this when they put it up on, on YouTube. So this is fresh, right? So there, this is not live. When, do you know when those, when those will go up and that we can link to it? Um, we'll be able to link to it. Um, it's not just up yet. I suspect it'll be up any day. I hope. Okay. Um, well, hopefully it'll be but, up by the time the show we're recording this Wednesday. So on the 21st. Yeah, so that, that would be awesome. But I got to tell you, you know, it's very rare to see a master photographer like Gregory Heisler and watch his process and to see, you know, just him thinking without shooting and then finally just making the shot. And you know what? He, he only needed one frame, and, and, and yeah. he nailed it, and he kind of won the competition. But, That's great. So I, I, I one really, frame. That's really cool. Oh, my God. I mean, it was really kind of a special thing to see him. The other guys did fantastically, but, I mean, he's kind of a legendary photographer. Well, so. we'll, have to, we'll have to dive more into that, Steve, later in the show when we get to the picks of the week. Sounds like that's probably going to be your pick of the week, that, <laughs> that particular area. So also on the show is Mr. Derek Story. Uh, Derek and I had a chance to talk earlier about some cool stuff so and we'll talk about that later in the show so derek what have you been up to since the last time you were twipping uh well i just finished the aperture workshop uh this weekend yeah we had a great time and uh he had it here at the studio and started out with uh doing some shooting uh and 
at, just like Steve said, they were only allowed to do one shot each, so it had to be really good. That is really cool. I'm I'm liking yeah. that trend yeah. of like yeah. you know who cares if you can hold the shutter down and fill up a CF card? You got one shot. What so shot? think about it. You know? Well, I, actually, I'm just kidding because you know. Uh, y- y- we had to teach sorting and rating and all oh, that okay, sort of okay. stuff. So they had to take a, a few more shots than that. But then uh, we we just had a great time. And then we finish up. We always finish up with uh, a show. And, uh, you know, that's that's my favorite part where you get to see what uh, people put six images up on the screen. And uh, they're the shots that they started with the day before and worked all the way through the process and then get to talk about, you know, what they were doing. And uh, I just love it. I just love it. I have to tell you uh, – I always get, and I think a little bit, this was what's going on with Steve too, but I'm always amazed at how I see something new that I uh, didn't really have ever seen before and go, yeah, I, I, I would really like to add that to my bag of tricks. And uh, <laughs> that happens every time, every really? time. Wow. Yeah. yeah, little do they know, guys. I mean, when we're teaching these workshops, I mean, you know, we should, we should be paying tuition too because we're learning. I mean, I've learned so much, and that's exactly what you just described, Derek. The experience of teaching uh, is wonderful because, you know, we get back so much. We, we learn from, from everybody participating. I'm with you 90% except for the paying tuition part. <laughs> <laughs> is that whole that whole eating and paying the mortgage thing. You know? <laughs> so, Derek, with, the, with that, so it was an Aperture workshop. So I'm going to ask you, Lightroom 4 is out and yes. Aperture is out, and you're the guy that knows both of them. What do you, what do you think of Lightroom 4 compared to Aperture? Well, I, I like Lightroom 4 a lot. I you know, wrote the review for Macworld Magazine, and I gave it a, a very, very big thumbs up. I think they did a great job with it. Mm-hmm. There were a couple areas I wasn't as thrilled about. The, the video handling stuff in Lightroom 4 I still don't think is uh, co- compares well to what you can do right now in Aperture 3. I mean, one of the big oh wows and aperture three is when we make a make a movie on day two uh with with all those assets and add different soundtracks and all that all within aperture but uh overall i mean lightroom 4 has so many strengths Uh, the image processing in particular the noise reduction uh i i want that uh, graduated tool and uh aperture that you have you Mm -hmm. know i i want uh, lens corrections uh, I want that good noise reduction. You want to paint. You want to paint in uh, color balance. They're not color balance, but uh, yeah, color yeah, temperature. White balance. Yes. Okay. I mean, you know, that, there, there's just some some terrific stuff in Lightroom Four. So, but I think we have to wait until Aperture Four comes out so that we can do version four versus versus version four. And I'm hoping that's not going to be too long. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. I mean, lots of cool stuff to talk about in the show today, guys. Um, there, I mean, you guys are in the show notes right now. I'm skipping the first two stories because I don't think they're worthy of our audience. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna move on to this story because I'm driving this ship and I can do that. Um, this is about Pinterest. So story number three is about Pinterest, and basically the the question is, is it safe for photographers? And it's uh, basically this came up, and I tweeted about this on my, uh, I think it was on my Frederick Van. It might have been a This Week in Photo account, but it was. Um, um, the idea was this, this lawyer who also is a photographer, which I'm sure a lot of in, a lot of the folks in our audience fit that profile. But she went through the terms of service for Pinterest and found that there were some disturbing things in there. And that if you if say someone surfed over to your your uh, portfolio, Steve, 
And they decided, hey, this is a great image Steve has of these kids in Africa. I'm going to pin this. They can pin that. And even if you didn't want that pinned, and if you didn't, and you decided, hey, I'm going to sue that person, or I'm going to sue Pinterest for allowing them to make this happen. In Pinterest's term, if that's a word, Pinterest is <laughs> terms of service. <laughs> terms of service. They basically say that they're indemnified against any legal action on anything you pin, and you're not. They're they're basically saying you should not be pinning anything that's copywritten. But they, then they allow you to do it. So I, I wanted to throw this out to you guys because both of you have work on the web that could be pinned, and I'm sure it has been pinned, you know, so far. And what what do you think of that? Is this uh, is the onus on the the pinner, or should the onus be on Pinterest? Hmm, that's a good question. I again, I'm I'm just getting involved with Twitter. So <laughs> you know, all these different social media things. I have heard of, of Pinterest, and and the fact is, if if they can sort of if someone could pin one of my images, put it up there, and I lose control of it without my knowledge, I don't like that. I, I just don't think that's fair. I don't think people should be able to have access to to pin something. Um, I mean, okay, let's make a, a, a you know, let's show it off. I, I saw I saw an image of an image of thread that I really wanted to share because I think it's a beautiful image, so I I pin it. Um, I think that's cool, but then. You know, the fact is, if if someone could then do something with that image, that's not cool. So yeah, yeah, I think the, the part of it is it's it's a double edged sword because if it's on the one hand, photographers, depending on the the, the state of their career, they want to be exposed. So pinning their work is good as long as there's attribution back to the original image. I think part of the controversy is. When people see that if I pin an image of Derek's, for example, it's going to show up in all its glory on Pinterest, and I could stop right there if I want to. I've, you know, I, I got the, you know, I was talking to Jason Kiefer. He's the CEO of a company called Pixoto, who's recently blocked Pinterest from uh, pinning anything on their entire site because uh, he's basically saying, why should he allow them to, you know, get the milk <laughs> for free when people don't have to come see the cow, you know, because he yeah. wants people to actually come over and pass that traffic along to the photographers when their people are basically getting hung up on Pinterest and they're going to stay there and then move on to the next shiny object. So where do you fall on it, Derek? I mean, should should people be allowed to pin with impunity? Well, I think that's what you just described is the issue for me. I, I don't mind the, the, the sharing of the, the images. But I always want the the visitor to go back to the original place where the image lives. So, for instance, uh, we'll talk, you know, Flickr, for example. Mm-hmm. If I use the embed code or a link uh, and I put a shot from Flickr on my site and someone clicks on that, then it, then it goes to the, the person that took the shot. It goes to their Flickr photo stream. And, uh, I mean, I, I always felt that that was the tradition of the web where, yes, we, we share because sharing's very important, and you're right. You know, you don't want to be anonymous if you're a photographer. You want, you want people to, to see your work. But you also want them to know more about you, and, and that's the whole idea. And so I think it should go back to the original site, and, and that's the part that, that I'm a little disappointed in right now with um, the direction. Yeah, I just wonder if, if when people realize that that's happening, like, okay, I, I did this great shot of this model, and 500 people pinned it, yay, but nobody knows who I am. Yeah. <laughs> like, they can see it. Does that mean now people are going to start marring up their images with these huge, hey, for more like this, go to this URL, you know, and embed it in the graphic itself to get them to go back to their site? Yeah, well, you know, that it's interesting and 
the other thing that it causes you to do is it makes you think about how much you're going to put on the web and what you're going to put on the web. Mm-hmm. And then it's also the other thing that's happened to me, and I thought this would never happen, but I've I've started using watermarks more, and I never oh. used I never used to use watermarks. And of course, a watermark can be cropped out, but that's by someone who's intentionally trying to you know um, rob you of photo credit. Most people aren't trying to intentionally do that. They're just you know kind of moving along the the social stream there so i started adding more watermarks too and and uh you know i don't know if it's going to help or not but it it makes me feel like it helps a little bit what about you steve are you are you watermarking the images that you put online or or do you mainly shoot things for clients and so it's not necessary yeah it's mostly for clients it's it's not all that necessary but i you know i i i haven't been watermarking and i haven't really been paying too much attention in terms of you know, if images of mine are being used uh, in, in a way that uh, I'm not really comfortable with, you know, it's a question of sort of you know time and 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 where you devote your energy. And you know, I've got all these great plans, as you know, but I just seem to be sort of dealing with the urgent pile. And you know, I'm definitely um, you're going to see a finally the passionate photographer blog uh, hit the streets or hit the web uh, by the end of um, April. So, Steve, you said you said that in 2010. I know I did. I know I did. I know I did. <laughs> I'm going to bring that episode up. <laughs> I'm going to shame you into making that blog public. <laughs> I know, I know. But I, you know, I was inspired just being in uh, at Gulf Photo Plus with uh, you know David Hobby is just such a social network guru, and to see you know the success that he's achieved, and he deserves it. I mean, he was an early person out there, but. You know, the stuff he puts up is, is quality, and he just is so smart in terms of how he sort of gets his business going, and his strobus now is just, you know, it, it's translated in different languages, and, you know, he's just, it, 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 I was inspired, and I and not only inspired, but it just makes sense, because, um, you know, if, if you can figure out a way to have a bit of a passive income coming from the work that you put in that you love, uh, it, it just makes sense, you know, because, uh, you know, f- Professional photographers, I mean, let's face it, uh, uh, money is freedom, freedom to kind of do the photography that you want to do. Yep, so yep. so I just think it, it, it makes sense. Well, speaking, Derek, you mentioned you're, you're going to start moving into putting watermarks in your images or copyrights or whatever on your, you know, basically saying mm-hmm. Derek shot this on your images. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this other story I wanted to talk about. And what happened was the Daily Mirror, which is a uh, magazine, I'm holding up quote fingers, out of the UK, did this piece on female serial killers. And they needed to they needed to illustrate one of the serial killers, but apparently they didn't have a photo of a particular serial killer to use. So they decided to use a photo that they stole from this photographer Morgana's deviant art profile and then they cropped off the watermark and ran it in a full page spread about serial killers saying that hey this is this woman that <laughs> that killed all these people <laughs> you know now that's not funny that you know all these people got killed but it the the fact and it's not even funny that her work got stolen but in in hindsight they did issue a public apology and they chose to settle with the model so she's going to get a hopefully a big payday but rewinding back from that even if you copyright your images Derek I'll throw this to you even if you mm-hmm. copyright your images you know you can just crop it right off you know and people can use it what so what's the purpose of copy of uh, of putting a 
uh, you know, messing up the picture, all this work that you put into making this beautiful piece of art, and then you slap this some text on it that somebody's going to crop off if they want to steal it anyway. Well, yeah, you're right. Uh, and, I mean, this story is just crazy on so many levels. <laughs> when I first saw it, I go, really? <laughs> yeah, everybody, if you're listening to this, you need a real laugh. Go to the blog post and click oh, on this link because this is hilarious. Yeah. But but I, I look at watermarks and things like that, copyright information, all that. I sort of look at it the same way I look at locks on a door and that really they're the to keep away casual abuse, uh, you know, and, and most people. But if someone really wants to steal your photo, just like if someone really wants to break into your place, uh, you know, they can find a way to do it. So I think, you know, the nice thing about Watermark, if someone doesn't intend to uh, rip off your photo, but, you know, they're just sort of, you know, do to do to do and, you know, they post it and someone else grabs it and you kind of get this, this sequence going and no one's really meaning harm. They're just not very smart about these things. The, in that case, it can help, right? Because your, at least your name is traveling with the photo and they may not, never look at the metadata. Yeah. Remember, but, remember this, Twippers. I mean, the fact is, yes, you own the copyright, whether you have a watermark or, or you know, your name on, under the picture. Mm-hmm. But if you want to, if you want to win some monetary uh, award because someone has uh, infringed on your copyright, you have to register yes. your copyright in the United States. And and you know what? You can do it um, online for thirty-five bucks, and you can you can you can group register. So you can take a thousand images and register them together. Um, it's something to investigate as part of your workflow if this if this is kind of important to you. This this case at the Daily Mirror, I mean, it just makes you think. Oh my God! I mean, that's a newspaper. They're supposed to know a little bit about journalism, and that's that's you know, it's ridiculous what they did there. And they open themselves up, and they should. I hope they they get into trouble. You you never do that. You yeah. you never take an image that you don't even know what it is, and and especially when you you call the person a serial killer. I mean. <laughs> Oh in full God. page, no less. It's in oh full God. page. Steve, can you imagine you open up the Daily Inquirer because you're like you're stuck in a long line at the grocery store, and there's Steve yeah. Simon, you know, on a, in an article about some bad people. Yeah, you know, what what would be your first step? What would you do if you saw well, that? Oh, I, my first step would be, you know, I I would sort of um, be happy because I know <laughs> yeah, that I got you them. start dancing I mean, around I, and go get more groceries, right? No. I mean, I would be a little nervous the way people are looking at me at the airport when, when I'm doing this yeah. because they had seen that picture. But you know if, when that happens that you're, you're in for something there because that is just, you know, journalism 101. You know, I mean, we, we have the right in, 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 in journalism to kind of publish images without model releases. But if you misrepresent that image and you, you sort of say something that isn't true – uh, then you're 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 in trouble. So I mean that's so. yeah. That I mean that I'm it, I'm no lawyer, but when I look at that, the first things <laughs> I see are copyright and defamation of character. You know, and I uh, I, I want to be I want to be paid. As soon as she's a working photographer too, you know. Yeah, that's less of a copyright issue and more of a sort of um, libel and all that other stuff, which I think is even bigger than than the copyright part of it in terms of what you're going to get from it. I Maybe think. the Daily Mirror will have to rebrand as the Daily Morgana. <laughs> Good morning. Hey, Derek, what would you do? You're in that you're in that uh, line at the grocery store getting ready to check out, and you look at that National Enquirer or some other magazine like that and see your face in there. What would you do? I'd probably be able to go get that 5D Mark III I want. <laughs> D4. Yeah. 
That's awesome. There's like can finally buy that that beach house. Yes. <laughs> That's great. Uh, okay, before we before we move on from this story, Derek, you uh, it was a great non sequitur. You wanna we did a a, a quick miniature twip this afternoon. You and I. Um, yes. You want to just give a brief like, overview of what we talked about? Yeah, I, I think you know. There's been a lot of new equipment announcements lately, and the thing that I've noticed is that uh, Canon has sort of separated itself from the rest of the pack in terms of what it's charging. And it started with the 24 to 70 uh, when they came out with version two of that uh, f2.8 zoom at basically a thousand dollars more than the previous version. And you go, whoa, whoa, whoa! You know, it doesn't. They didn't do anything. They didn't put image stabilization on it. Yeah. <laughs> this charged a thousand dollars more, and I go, that must be some glass. Uh, but then, when the 5D Mark III was announced at thirty-five hundred dollars, I just wanted to kind of stop and get some perspective because the the one thing I wanted to make sure is that we're, we're we just don't find ourselves on this hamster wheel where we where we feel like that we need to somehow find the money to automatically upgrade just because the next model comes out. Yeah. So you and I just talked about that a little bit and kind of try to to put the money thing into perspective. Yeah, yeah, it was a great conversation. That's in a that'll hit the feed. I'm told on Monday. So this week in photo listeners, if you listen to this Friday or Saturday or over the weekend, hopefully by Monday, probably Tuesday at the latest, you'll you'll be able to listen to that interview. And hopefully it won't be too late. You won't have purchased that <laughs> Mark III <laughs> by then, um, or at least you'll be you'll once you listen to the interview, you'll be more informed and on your choices and you know maybe some directions you can go in. So. So thanks for doing that, Derek. I appreciate it. Yeah, it, it was fun. It was yeah. fun. It, it, I mean, that actually started with a kind of a personal conversation we had. Where we were going, what the heck is going on here? <laughs> I know. And I was saying, basically, yeah. I, I had flagged that. I was like, wow, that is really expensive. But I can't, <laughs> you know, because I'm a Nikon shooter like Steve, right? Yeah. I'm a Nikon shooter. It, people would say, oh, you're just saying that because you shoot Nikon, sour grapes, you know. Right, so, but Derek, you're dyed in the wool cannon, and uh, you know if so, you're the voice of reason. You're the yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've got a lot of glass. I'm not going anywhere, but uh, I, I'm also not buying the 5D Mark III right now. <laughs> oh man, Derek, you gave away the punchline for the interview. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Now they're going to want to know why. Yeah, exactly. Why. Very cool. All right, uh, here's another interesting story uh, that I want to chat about before we move into the interview, which is a really cool interview. Um, this is just basically funny. So um, it wasn't funny for the rabbit, but it was funny. So. Oh, you're going to do this story? We got to do this. See? Oh, this story makes me sad. All right, tell us about it, Derek. Since you no, it yes. no, I can't do it. <laughs> No, a, okay. bunny, a bunny got killed. I don't want to do that. Yeah, you remember what it used to mean when 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 the, when somebody came home and said, "Hey, the rabbit died." That means someone's pregnant. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that was before the you know the modern test. Yeah. Right. So basically, over at Petapixel, this, this is where the, the show notes writer got this article from. Um, a German photographer uh, basically was shooting this rat or taking photographs of this rabbit at a media event at a zoo in eastern Germany. And the media event was about a little bunny named Till that was a, it was a three-week-old earless bunny. And it become like some phenomenon in the area because it's like, hey, it's an earless bunny. It's rare and it's cute and there's photos of it and T-shirts and all this stuff. So the photographer's there taking pictures of it and he steps on the bunny and kills the, <laughs> kills the bunny. 
Now, this is not funny because the bunny was killed. But what is like when you think about this, you're like, oh, to be that photographer. Can you imagine being that guy and trying to make it to your car in the parking lot? Well, you know, the the rule is, and we have said it time and time again, when you're on a shoot, you know, don't get so focused as to what's in front of you where you don't look to what's behind you. Mm-hmm. We're usually talking about in terms of a, another shot. But, you know, there's a little bunny there, too. I mean, that, you know. Just watch where you step. I think that's so sad, Frederick. <laughs> it, it is. It is very sad. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. That's that, and that's the reason why I wanted to bring it into the show yeah. because you know this this happened. Enough. This happened, but something similar happened to um, David Dushman. Um, I think it was last year. He was he didn't step on a rabbit. He actually hurt himself because he was mm-hmm. standing on a very high wall and was taking photos and wasn't wasn't aware exactly of where he was and where the drop-off was and stepped off and oh fell oh, and oh. landed. I don't know how far it was, but it was very far. And he landed on his feet and crushed his, you oh. know, he did all sorts of damage to his body and they had to airlift him out of there. And, you know, it was a horrific scene. I did an interview with him. So if, if you want to listen to what happened to him, just Google David Dushman on This Week in Photo. You can find that. But, I didn't know about that. Oh, yeah, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. he's just yeah, now yeah, recovering. Yeah, he had to learn how to walk again, and it was just horrible, you know. So the, the moral of this story, yeah, in this case, the bunny, you know, was the, was the victim. But you could very easily be the victim yourself. Say you're, you know, you're taking pictures at some perilous location, Niagara Falls or something, not looking where you are shooting because you're looking through the lens and have that false sense of distance you could easily hurt yourself so definitely be careful let me be sort of the objective person here because um i hate bunnies so you know i'm not really sad that my bunny is dead but uh, no i'm sorry i i, love, I don't want to get people letters. for the if ethical treatment of, of animals call steve simon please <laughs> but i mean you know when i saw this story i thought okay like you know this kind of stuff can happen but i didn't realize that the photographers there were to photograph this bunny Mm-hmm. So the story is all about the bunny, and then the photographer steps and kills the bunny. Come on. I mean, the guy, I mean, I don't, I don't really get it. I mean, you know, stuff happens for sure, but, I mean, you've got to be a little bit careful. I mean, if, if the whole story is about this bunny, and then he kills the bunny, uh, he was just not paying attention. I mean, really, right. not paying attention. Yeah. But there, there are so many. Remember, the, remember that, that wedding photographer that fell into the... You know, fountain that went. Yeah, viral. I remember that. Yeah, but, but there, there are photographers that that you know, David Dushman, of course. I mean, he's he's made a recovery. I mean, oh my God, that was just such a horrible thing. Yeah. And you know, he's he's he always makes the best of stuff, and now he's he's back at it and and doing his thing. Yep. Um, but you know, photographers have been killed, and 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 the fact is, you know, when you're looking through the viewfinder, you're looking at that screen. You know, it's it's almost sort of a, a it's not reality because you're looking at a, a little TV screen, a viewfinder screen. And when you're in the moment, which which you want to be as a photographer in that zone, everything else sort of goes away. But at the same time, you really have to kind of make sure that you're aware of things because nothing is worth uh, your personal safety. You know, you, you know a picture's not worth it. So yep. it's a good little uh, lesson. But man, and, and and just on top of that, I mean, I ran a grab shot on Digital Story last week that uh, a guy came out and he's up in Marin Headlands to photograph the Golden Gate Bridge. You know, which everyone when you come out this way, you need your own personal shot of that. 
And just working it, working it, working it. And then just his little voice remembered, uh, I think it was Martin Bailey actually uh, had, had been talking about, make sure you look behind you whenever you're photographing a, a, you know, a subject like that, especially for a period of time. And his little voice just told him to do that, and he, and he turned around, and there was a, a guy on a bike all decked out, and, you know, and racing down the hill, down this sort of S-curve coming down the mountain. And he just turned around and fired off a few shots. And got something far more interesting than than the, I mean I'm sure he's happy with the Golden Gate Bridge shot, but this was a shot that he's really proud of, and it was just that thing of you know remembering to uh, to turn around, not only for cliffs and bunnies, but also you know to get a good picture. Yep, absolutely. All right, guys, I want to uh, give a nod to our sponsor. This this episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. If you'd like a free trial and 30% off your new account for three months, you can head over to Squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP3. Um, and you know, just, we've been saying this on the show for a while, just, you know, what, what is the positioning of somebody or of squarespace.com? There are lots of alternatives out there, you know, different, different ways that you can put a site and get a web presence, but squarespace.com makes it, they're like a cloud-based solution or they are a cloud-based solution, which means there's nothing that you need to install. There's, it's very easy to master and it's always up to date. You don't have to worry about updating your your site or the latest plugin or any of that stuff. It's all built into the site and you just basically turn things on and off. And you can start they have an easy to use UI for creating your website or your blog. It's designed for people that are new to the web. They're just saying, "Hey, I want to put a new site up." And they don't know where to start. You just go to squarespace.com and click a few buttons and you're online. There's a ton, hundreds of templates, design templates to choose from that you can take any one of them and then tweak it to fit your own individual needs. All this high-tech stuff like, hey, I need a I need a site that's compatible with all these iPhones and iPads that people are surfing the web with now. Squarespace.com has already covered that. Your site is compatible with that. And not only that, but you can also manage and update your blog from your iPhone or your iPad. And if you get stuck, you get you hit a spot where you are, you know, I don't know how to do a certain thing or want to add a forum and I'm not sure how to do that. They have a special support team that's on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week to help you through the rough spots if you hit any. So, you know, for people that are just starting out then in, or even people that are advanced that just want something that's bulletproof and online and, and there's a team behind it making sure it's always up. You don't have to worry about, Hey, I posted this article about Steve Simon and now I'm getting a million hits on my blog, you know, and it went down. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Cause it's, it's always robust and it's always there. So if you want to check it out, definitely do so. It's uh, again, squarespace.com. If you want that 30% off your new account for three months, just head over to their site and use the offer code TWIP3. That's the offer code TWIP and the number three. All right, guys. Uh, this week, I sat down with photographer, author, and teacher Dan Ablin. He's been on the show before a couple times, um, but I did this interview actually before he was actually on the show, just sort of pick his brain about the process, the trials, the tribulations, the pluses and the minuses behind running a brick-and-mortar photography studio. So this is a very interesting interview, especially if you have any insp- uh, aspirations to do that, to one day you know, have a key to open the front door of your studio and invite clients in and all that sort of thing. So definitely give this a listen. All 
Dan Ablin has written 14 books on computer graphics and photography. He served as a magazine editor for two years in addition to running his own digital art studio since 1994. He's been writing tutorials for photography magazines since 1994, and he has dozens of training videos on sites like 3dgarage.com, classondemand.net, and even lynda.com. He's been published nationally in magazines like Rangefinder, etc., and he now runs the Ablin Gallery. It's a successful portrait studio in Illinois. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's, that, uh, didn't, know, that didn't even sound like me. Yeah, really I was going to say, after that <laughs> intro, I'm almost afraid to talk to you. Oh, my gosh. That's wow. great. How are you? It, I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm doing well. Yeah, so you're, originally you're out from there. Chicago too, aren't you? I am. I am from Chicago. Actually, I was born in Michigan, but I grew up in Chicago. No, actually, good. actually, I tell people I I was born in Michigan in Flint. Actually, um, okay. was raised in Chicago, but I actually grew up in Tokyo when I went there for the military. Oh, that'd be nice. <laughs> so. Yeah, when I turned fifty, that's my uh, photographic tour trip. Oh, hey, check that out. Go to Japan. You can come with me. I will definitely make an adventure. Yeah. So, so thanks for taking the time for this interview. The, You're the, what I wanted to talk to you about on this interview was specifically your experience with running a studio or actually starting and running a studio. You're one of the few people that I've talked to that actually have a physical atom based brick and mortar, yeah. you know, studio where people come and get photographs and, right. you know, you got the, the whole nine yards. You got to keep the water on, the power on, all that magic. Mm-hmm. So I, w- I want to talk to you about how to do that and, and just sort of, you know, what, what, the, what the positives and the negatives and all that magic are. Before we do that, I just want to get a little background on you. Sure. Like, you know, other than, you know, the credentials that I, I just spoke about in the mm-hmm. beginning, what, what, drew, what keeps you in photography or in the digital imaging space? You know, it's interesting. Um, I started shooting when I was 13. When I was in uh, in grade school, I would draw, and I would get out of class to draw sets for for the plays and things like that. And my talent for drawing pretty much stopped in eighth grade. So if I drew you a picture now, that's about what it would look like. Um, probably because I got into photography at that point with my dad's AE one uh, <laughs> camera, and uh, I just loved it. I never never put it back down. And I want to say probably two years later, when I was a sophomore in high school, uh, got my own enlarger. We had a old house in Southside Chicago, and uh, one Christmas, I got in a larger, and uh, ever since then, it was you know full steam ahead with photography. Um, so I shot for like the local newspaper, and I did all the yearbooks in high school, and all of that stuff. Uh, even did a, a couple of car dealerships, like some ads for their oh, wow. you know for their newspapers and things. And um, it was just kind of my thing, you know. I just kind of gravitated towards it. But interestingly, I look back, and I would always. Pick, have pictures in my head for music that I would hear, um, which is interesting because when I went to college, I got into video, and it was just a natural progression to go from photography to video, and it kind of all mixes together today. Um, originally, I was going to go to Columbia College in Chicago uh, for photography, but I placed out of two years from my high school portfolio, but I wasn't quite sure, you know, I just wanted, it was kind of my, my thing, you know, I didn't know if I wanted to lose the fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see what that is now, but back then I didn't know what that was. It was just kind of my thing. Um, so I wasn't sure. So I went, I went to Valparaiso and still went in as a photojournalism major and our photography professor surprisingly looked like Ansel Adams, which <laughs> I still think was really interesting today. Um, <laughs> 
the sophomore year, I got into a video class and I loved it. And I switched my major to broadcast journalism and then minored in photojournalism and uh, just kept it my thing on the side, you know, and I'd put pictures into videos when I could and, um, and pretty much was in video and got out. I entered at CBS in Chicago and uh, got my first job uh, at another small CBS affiliate down in Lafayette, Indiana, and uh, even had my enlarger with me. I was actually still shooting and developing on the side, just whatever. I and felt all like this shooting. time, it never never occurred to you to switch from no. from making it your thing to your primary, huh? Yeah, it was just kind of my hobby, even though I studied it in school. Yeah, it was just, just kind of my thing. I'm like, well, who would be interested in this? And um, got into 3D animation a couple of years later. Um, actually, it was 89 or 90. Um, and I just love that. So the video kind of fell by the wayside a little bit. It was still part of the business, but um, 3D was the main thing, then video, then photography. And working from the CBS affiliate shooting video to going to a um, – cable company as a program manager where I got to run the local channel and pretty much do all my things and then went to corporate video um, to the point where I got to do everything and then I went to um, a video toaster dealership because I had really gotten into the video toaster and yeah, Lightwave. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> if you look at the old video toaster user magazines, I was Dr. Toaster. Uh, I had a column in there. <laughs> But answer, wow. I would answer people's emails and uh, questions. Um, but, you know, the photography was still just there on the side, kind of my thing, and I always kept up with it. And then about 2000, I went digital. Um, somewhere in there, Canon introduced it, and it was either a 60D or a D60. And it was the first affordable, uh, it was about $2,000 camera, where digital at that time was like ten grand, mm -hmm. And I had a quick time... Um, I had a 3D animation walkthrough I was doing for Abbott Labs, and it included some photography. So I said, oh, this is how I can get into this digital area, and uh, that helped pay for the camera. Um, so 94, I started my own animation business, and, um, you know, here we are <laughs> all these wow. years later. Wow. Um, so so, so you're, you're well-rounded. I, I hear motion i hear graphics i hear video i hear yeah. you know still photography so you're basically you 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 know stranger to the pixel basically no right? that's what that's what we're doing all all the time yeah yeah and then you know i turned 40 a few years ago and and i think in doing so maybe i went through a little something i don't know but um i had just you know i wanted to get back in the photography a lot more than than i was doing um, you know, 15, 16, 17 years at that point in 3D, I was like, okay, I'm done with this. Let's not that I was done, but you know, I've wanted something more. Yeah. And I started going to some workshops and, uh, and the credit for us starting the studio really, um, has to do with, uh, Jed and Vicky Toffer down at uh, V gallery. Yeah. I know those guys. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're great people only about three hours from us. And, uh, I went down to the workshop and it was called selling the experience and they just, show you their studio and this is how we do it and this is what we do and uh got a one-on-one -on -one with vicky and she got to look at my stuff and say well why aren't you doing this i'm like well i don't want to shoot with a heavy hair light and cheesy poses she goes well don't and and i said well i don't want to shoot all high key and i don't want to have a cold studio because in my experience photography studios were messy kind of garage type rooms mm -hmm. um cluttered up front when you'd walk in every studio i'd ever been to was kind of like that yeah and you go to v gallery and it was this beautiful space with chandeliers and I'm like my god this is 
this is great. Yeah, yeah. So the word funny. I use to describe it is opulent. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It was beautiful. And, you know, it, we had kind of started shooting a little bit, my wife and I. Um, she's a dental hygienist by trade, but she's really creative, makes drapes. She used to do drapes for restaurants and things like that. Um, and that's really more of her passion. But knowing how to, like, approach a little kid with a needle, you kind of know how to handle kids. Yeah. And I said, you know, your creativity and your way with kids and my photography, I said, we could, we could, this could be a good business with the two of us, something we can maybe do long term. Um, and to be perfectly honest, part of it is at 44 years old now, okay, I know how to go meet with corporations. I know how to answer the questions. Um, you know, I know the lingo and, you know, to do these animation and video jobs and the kids come out of school, they're not quite there yet. They might be more talented and be able to do the job better, but in 10 years, they're going to, they're going to get the they're going to get the whole uh how do you say it i don't want to say they're social zits but <laughs> <laughs> i like that the social zits <laughs> but, but you know what i mean it's like they haven't had enough professional um working relationships with companies to know how to do bids and quotes and deal with deadlines and know to put in those extra hours um you know i always tell people because i do a lot of a lot of training uh in 3d and i say you know the new people coming out of school and i was one of them you build a building for a client, a 3D building, mm -hmm. and you get all excited that inside you go, oh, down to the desk is a picture of my mom, and there's a TV in there, and on the TV channel is my favorite show, and, mm -hmm. well, is that part of the render? No, but if you go in there, it's cool. It's not, you know, well, you know, in Hollywood, it's just smoke and mirrors. You fake it. You just get the job done, and that's kind of the idea um, that you learn over time that there isn't really no secret other than just knowing how to get the job done. One of, one of my projects for United Airlines, we had put in, um, we were flying through this plane that was being developed. You're flying um, in 3D, right? Flying in 3D, yeah, just traveling through it to show the new seats and the new arrangement. But the very back galley is just a photograph. Hmm. And for my first few years in 3D, I would think, well, that's cheating. And at some point you realize it's not cheating. That's how you do it. That's how you maximize your time and, and profits and things like that. It's so, like movie studios building facades of, uh, exactly. of, uh, of old western towns and you know because you only need to see the part that you're shooting, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, in, in a number of years, you know, I'm going to be in my 50s and these kids are going to come out of school and be able to do it faster and cheaper and better. So part of us starting a photography studio was thinking in those terms as well, that this is something we do long term. But the biggest thing is that we just had a passion for it. Yeah. So, okay, so now, so background, you know, that's background, we get your passion and all that. So a lot of folks would say starting a brick-and-mortar studio, <laughs> you know, even in the last decade, you know. In like, 2009, like we did? Yeah, yeah, especially then. It's like, really? Why now? So I want to put it to you. Why would you start a brick-and-mortar business when you could do it you could run a profitable photography business from the ether right from the internet right. Um, not having a local area and then be in the middle of a recession so take me through that thought process well i think maybe either i'm delusional um, <laughs> or just took advantage of an opportunity you know oh seven and probably 08. the latter right <laughs> yeah. well um 
my 3D business, I had teamed up with a couple of guys that I had worked with uh, for a lot of years um, that have a video production company. And we shared space um, Mm -hmm. in a corporate area in Chicago called Schaumburg. Because at the time, you had to be Oak Brook, which is where McDonald's headquarters are, Chicago or Schaumburg, to be taken seriously in the video 3D business. But as the you know, new decade emerged and after 9-11, kind of everything changed. Um, our business wasn't quite the same. We were doing a lot of corporate jobs. A lot of those fell out the window. I was doing a lot more medical projects. And a lot of the clients, so my, my, you know, like NASA's out in Mountain View. Mm-hmm. Um, my Johnson Johnson people are in New Jersey. Um, and even some people that are local. I didn't even see him. It was all just through the internet. So after seven or eight years sharing space with these guys, I said, you know what? I got a great office at home. It really doesn't make sense for me to come down every day and sit here and just be online with those clients so I can do it from home. So I said, no, that, that makes sense. You know, So I did work from home for a couple of years, 07 or 08. And fortunately, I did because that's when everything tanked. Uh, so you know, it was really bad for us. Um, in 2009, I got two really large projects. One of them was for the American Dental Association doing 80 different 3D animations of teeth for a DVD series. Another was a military project. So we sat back and we said, look, we were, shoot- we were doing this business out of our basement. We were doing the photography business on the side. We were going to people's homes, bringing the lights. Uh, we had a mock studio set up in the basement. Mm-hmm. And that always made us a little uncomfortable with our daughter and yeah, bringing know, people bring, into the house, bringing yeah. people in the house. My wife wanted to clean the whole house top to bottom before they came and she'd serve cookies and offer drinks. I'm like, <laughs> you don't have to do that. Yeah. Um, but it never felt right to us to it's do like that. It's like a dinner party for every client. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, and if you came, my wife would do the same for you. But, um, so that was part of that was one reason that was one right there we we knew we didn't let go into people's homes because you don't know where you're shooting and it takes a lot more time. Uh, number two was we don't like shooting out of our house. So the other option was we would have loved to have a studio that we have control over our lights, control over our situation. One good example is our first one of our very first clients calls us. All the kids are there with their kids to honor the grandmother who was sick, I believe. And there's one of the dads behind me with his big Sony camera. Wow. Taking pictures. So well, why did you call me? You know, I'm there setting up the lights. My wife's organizing, getting all the groups together. Mm-hmm. That's a big issue going to people's homes. And you don't want to step in there saying you can't use your camera. Right. In it's our like studio. a wedding, right? Yeah. Very much like a wedding. Yeah. And which we don't do, by the way. We don't. That's one thing I never wanted to do. And uh, so down at V Gallery, it was, well, don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was just, I actually never thought of that. So in opening a studio, our idea was to step beyond what we had known as a typical studio. When our daughter was a little like the typical mall place, um, not that there's anything wrong with those, but we wanted to go to that next level. So everything we did starting our studio was because of what we didn't like and just did things our way. We weren't copying somebody. We weren't trying to be like anybody. We just did our thing. So we opened in an outdoor mall. They call them lifestyle malls. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's one right near near our, our house, and it's um, in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. And uh, they have an Apple store and a Crate and Barrel store and a Starbucks and a Panera. Very nice, nice yeah. place. Yeah. Years ago, they wouldn't even talk to us. Well, now it's 2009. There's vacancies. Why not give them a call? There are tumbleweeds and, rolling down the street. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. And sure enough, they had they had a one-year, year-to-year plan. So... Initially, I went in there and he said, oh, we need to see your financials and all this stuff. I said, look, I just want to know how much it is. 
don't want to go through all that. He goes, okay. And honestly, within a year of that uh, workshop down at V Gallery, we had opened our studio. And I have pictures online. If you actually go um, – another another person – I sound like I'm name-dropping, but but they've actually been really, really helpful. Um, Lori Nordstrom has been really terrific. She's actually been out here quite a few times and has visited both of our studios when she's in town and did a blog post about us up on her forum, on the PhotoTalk forum. Uh, so if you go there, you can actually see pictures of our first brick-and-mortar studio, which was a retail studio. So we did the whole thing. We did the uh, went through the village and got our permits, and we did a big lit sign on the outside. And it was just kind of – we didn't really tell anybody we were doing it. We just went, oh, by the way, you know, about a month before we were opening. And uh, my wife single-handedly painted the whole place, and, you know, I did the electric and all the wiring, and, and off we went. And I think we had about 160 sessions that first year. Uh, and made almost all our money back. Um, so we had taken the money from these big 3D jobs and said, okay, well, we can pay some debts and maybe rest easy a little bit, or we can take advantage and maybe build onto the business model. And that's what we did. Wow. Um, after that first year, though, we kind of outgrew that space. Um, outgrew another- it how? You needed a bigger studio or too many people were coming? or how? Well, how- there was two issues. Number one, no, we realized that no matter – how I mean, you walk in. We had this massive chandelier. We had draperies. You know, it was really, it was just really, really warm and cozy. But no matter how nice it was, you're still a mall photographer. Mm-hmm. We could not break that stigma. People coming in. Can I get a passport photo? Mm. Uh, you know, can I see my prints before I pay for them? I'm like, look, this isn't portrait innovations. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, we love portrait innovations. We get a lot of people coming to us because of them. So <laughs> Which, <laughs> that's a whole other interview. Um, so that that's number one, you know, having that mall stigma. The other thing was that you're required to have mall hours when you're there at a mall. Oh, and, really? Okay, right. Yeah. And given that, um, you know, we still have a young daughter that I have my 3D work and I go on the road and I train quite a bit and, and speak at different places it's that's kind of tough because um, we had those required hours then the other thing was it was one long narrow space it was uh what was it 1200 square feet so we shot in the big open area and then we would clean that up and there's a 52 inch monitor there and we'd roll up the backdrop to see the monitor and then we'd pl- plug my laptop into the cable that i had rigged through the wall we'd slide the folding table out we put a tablecloth out and that's how we did the review. And then when it was time for framing, well, the table would come out and we'd pull the frames and pull the prints and then maybe somebody would come in. It was just everything was done in that one big open space. And um, it was great to start. It put us out there. It really got us noticed. Um, but once that lease was up, we said, you know, maybe, maybe we should look around. And we found a space that's uh, three minutes from our house door to door. And it's more of an office climate. Um because people said, well, aren't you going to miss the walk-ins from the mall? And to be perfectly honest, even though people walked in, I'd say maybe four or six turned into actual clients. Hmm. Because Out it's of not, how many? Oh, God. You know, dozens. So on an average day and in a mall, if you have, like, say, 100 people come in and inquire, how many of those would convert into actual paid clients? One, one or two. Oh, geez. Yeah, and you wouldn't get 100 in a day. You might get 100 in six months. Oh, okay. Because it's an outdoor mall. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so it's, um, it's more about relationships that we've built with other businesses. And, um, 
So then, so then for the guy that's out there, you know, says my dream is to one day be like Dan and have a studio that's, that's dialed in and, you know, I can, I can bring people there and serve wine and cheese and, you know, all, all that kind of magic stuff. What are the steps? I mean, like if without, you know, without the things that were unique to your situation, if, you know, just the guy up the street has some photographic talent and wants to do this. Is a first step the bank, or is a first step location scouting? Lo- location scouting, or what do they do? I think it's a, a combination of all of it. And ironically, we actually have my wife is doing a review in the other room, and actually uh, popped a bottle of wine for the clients <laughs> as she said that. <laughs> it's funny, um, but yeah, but that's the advantage. We don't we don't have somebody just walking in at a retail mall. We have a separate room for viewing. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say to somebody. Isolate what you want to do. What is the most important thing you want to do? So for us coming to this new space, our big thing was we wanted a dedicated room for viewing. We didn't have that at the other place. Yeah. So we have a 120-inch projection screen and a projection project, – I can't even say it – projector mounted on the back wall um, to show the photos. They're always projected. They're never show, shown online. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's part of it is making your client comfortable for us. The other thing I would say is, you know, obviously it's it's about money. You know, what can you afford as your rent? We can't afford our rent, but <laughs> we're doing it anyway. <laughs> we can't um, afford our rent. I love no. that. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's it's a high rent uh, for where we are. Yeah. Um, but the advantage is that we are marketing our studio because we've heard from clients, and there's nothing wrong with people shooting out at homes we did as well so i can say this but we do have clients that come in and said they've been to other photographers that are out of their homes and um it makes them a little uncomfortable sometimes depending on if it's you know in a basement or the house isn't you know just all those all those things yeah um so we use that to our advantage in marketing that we are a full studio we have a full-time place that you can come we have different rooms that you can change and uh if a mom needs to nurse her baby in the middle of the shoot go right ahead mm-hmm. you know this is not somebody waiting we don't back people up back to back um well, what about pricing how do you how do yeah. you work your pricing i mean there's a lot of in the in the greater chicago land area there's got to be at least i don't know a bazillion studios so how do yeah. you differentiate yourself you know aside from your your signature look how do you differentiate yourself on pricing and get people to come in the door I just pull some numbers out of my butt and you know, <laughs> just make it up. No, I'm gonna make it up. Just make it up. Yeah. No, I, I honestly, you know, I mean, I'd like to say we sat down and we added up all our cost of goods and we did the math and you know this is what it should be. That's fine. I mean, that sounds great on paper and that sounds great in the business workshops. But the bottom line is, you have to price based on your area and based on the kind of people that are in your in your town. Our northwest area of Chicago is um, an expensive area, and I wouldn't come to my studio for photography, yeah. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Why, uh, why do you say that? I'm, I'm priced more than I would pay for it myself. Gotcha. gotcha. And I know a lot of photographers have said that as well. Um, and that's okay. You know, and, and it's, if you were somebody else, you couldn't afford you, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not saying we're super expensive because I know people that do charge $150 for an 8x10. Yeah. Um, our 8x10s are $80. And where that started was pretty much looking around at what other people were charging, um, looking what they offered for that. 
So one of the things that we differentiate ourselves with is that every shot, even if it's a small one, um, or as, as uh, friends of mine say, the great big 8 by 10s um, even if it's just those, they're always mounted, they're always linen finish, and they're always fully edited in Photoshop, even if it's just one. Mm-hmm. Um, we also differentiated by not having a minimum order because we always felt that's trapping people in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it forces us to make a better product. Well, if I get, you know, I know I'm getting my minimum, why, why would I work harder? Yeah. Um, so the pricing is based kind of all on that, you know, and, and of course we know what, what our lab costs are as well. Um, so but how does the t- flow work though? So just like from a high level, someone, you get a call, you book them, they come in for their session, um, you shoot them presumably for about an hour or so. Um, yeah. And you said you're not doing any online proofing, so they come back later at a second time Correct. to sit down and look at the projected proofs, and then they yeah. pick from then from a, those. A pretty good workflow. Um, essentially, we'll get a call, and we really try and, if we can, get them to come in as a consult, um, just just to see us, to get to know us, to be more comfortable, see 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 the type of work we do, and really get to know them and see what they're after. Mm-hmm. We had a, we had a guy call the other day. Um, the local high school, which is right down the road, sends everybody to a national chain to do their senior portraits. Uh, we pick up the slack because they don't like those senior portraits, so that's good for us. Mm-hmm. And he essentially wanted just a couple eight by tens and five by sevens. And I told him the prices that our eight by tens were eighty, and that duplicates were fifty of that same print because it's already been edited. And um, you know, I heard, I heard Vicky Toffer say one time, she goes, even if they know they can print something themselves, that it's you know it's ink and paper, it's all the other work and all the things that go into it that make up that cost. It's not just about that actual print. And you know, so. Some people, it's taken us about three years now, which is how long we've been doing this, to be okay with not, you know, to having somebody say no. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was it's hard at first because you're like, well, well, why don't you want to come here? And you want to make deals with them and make sure they come in. But the more confident you become in what you're doing, the easier it is to stick with those prices because it is a business and that's what it's worth. So when they come in for the shoot, yeah, we get them comfortable and we, you know, just talk to them and just really see what they're about. Um, I'm very fortunate because I have what's called a Maria. <laughs> <laughs> and I've heard other people say, I wish I had a Maria. What's a Maria? Maria is my wife. Gotcha. Uh, who is <laughs> fixing the hairs and, you know, going to the little girls and just doing their skirts. And she's got a whole room, a little back room we have full of uh, little accents and brushes and bows and just, you know, we're, we're not big on props, but, but all those little things that make them feel special. Cause it is yeah. a lot of times when they're doing a shoot. So then we do the shoot, um, we'll change backgrounds and, you know, even if it's a simple session, we'll still, we'll change it up based on their clothing and whatever they're doing. Um, and then we say what, when we ask them, one's good for the review. Uh, usually it could be two days, it could be a week and, uh, they come back in and then what I do is I take those raw images, um, I put them into the main system, and this could be a whole other discussion too about my how I use Lightroom and Photoshop, and I've done training on on it like that. Yeah. But I create a new catalog for every client, and I know there's discussions about creating a giant Lightroom catalog mm-hmm. or one for every every client. So I use one for every client, and um, quickly go through in Lightroom, pick the best, make a quick collection. 
and uh, export those out through Imagenomic Portraiture through Lightroom, which gives a nice smoothing, then a little sharpening. Shoot that over to the other room, uh, to the other Mac in there. We use ProSelect to actually show the photos. And when they come in, they see a uh, nice slideshow, which I put together. And um, then we go through using ProSelect, picking their favorites, and Maria handles it from there. She, uh, she goes and picks their order and um, then goes up front and... We stopped using I'm, – I'm kind of a software junkie. So <laughs> for our management software, we were using one of the most popular ones for a while. And it was good, but I just felt it wasn't getting to where we needed. So I thought, well, why do I have to look at photography software? And we went with something out of the photography industry. We went with QuickBooks, mm-hmm. point of sale. Mm-hmm. Because how different is a shoe from a print or – you know, painting they're just products, right? Yeah. They're just products. So yeah, so we're using QuickBooks point of sale and uh, Maria goes and puts it all in and does the order for them and uh, gives me the order sheet uh, in the client folder and I'll go ahead and do it and we'll order with one of our labs and uh, when it comes in, we call the client. She wraps it all nice with pretty packaging and bows and everything else and and it's There's, ready to go. Right. That's it. Yeah. Do you do any do you do any printing yourself on the premises no. or is everything I, going out to labs? Everything goes to labs, yeah. yeah. Uh primarily we're using should I name labs? Uh yeah, go for it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, primarily, yeah. White House custom colors are main lab and uh we also use Miller's. Okay. They've but they've been great for uh everything we're doing. Wonderful. Yeah. That's one I you know, between the three D garage stuff, the Linda stuff, uh the AJ Digital, which is the main company for animation and then running the studio. I'm like the last thing I need to be doing is dealing with printing and mm-hmm. hundred dollar cartridges and mm-hmm. ink and mm-hmm. you know, I can send it in two days it's back and Yeah. And it's called by people who do that every single day. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Work work smarter, not harder. I, I agree. Well, listen, I know we're running long. I want to be respectful of yeah, your sorry. time. Uh, one other thing that I wanted to touch on, you mentioned before we started the, the recording, was that you recently got your CPP. I did. What is that and why? I'm, I'm feeling jealous. So so tell us what it is. It's just for my ego, really. No. <laughs> I have an no. FVJ. <laughs> I'm honest. Ask anybody. No. Um, it, I started about a year ago. I was looking into it and, you know, it was – I. I kept seeing these degrees behind everybody's names. It's Certified uh, Professional Photographer, right? Certified Professional Photographer, yeah. And originally it was through the PPA, through Professional Photographers of America. But now there is the photographic – let me read it correctly – Professional Photographic Certification Commission. It's an offshoot. Now, I don't quite know um, at what point they, it was created or not. But this is the organization that, that does this. And I guess less than 8% of the photographers worldwide are certified. Um, so that was kind of a challenge to do that. Um, it was partly, there's two reasons to do it. One was just for me mm-hmm. to help qualify. and like, okay, you know what? Maybe, maybe I know what I'm doing. Um, but number two was actually from a business standpoint that I do want to be speaking and teaching more in the photography arena because um, I've been doing that in 3D for, you know, 15, 16 years. So that helps that. But as it turns out, I'm the only certified photographer within a 10-mile radius of our studio. Mm. So you and can say that in your marketing, right? Yeah. yeah, until others get certified. But, you know, in northwest Chicago area, there's a lot of photographers. Yep. Um, so that that's part of it, too, that uh, we have a full-time studio and – we also are certified. So it's, uh, 
Well, congratulations. Oh, congratulations on getting that. Are you going to put it on your business card? I should put it on the business card. I put it on the website right away. Yeah, it needs to go on the business card. Everybody wants some letters behind their name. Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? And they, they won't know what it means. But uh... So listen, can I uh, twist your arm to get you to come on This Week in Photo as a guest uh, from time to time? Anytime you want. Uh, anytime you want. Wonderful. I would love to. Great. So we will. Uh, You'd probably be getting me to, you know, all right, Dan, hang up. <laughs> no, no, no. We'll, no we can talk about software and computers and cameras and. Yeah, Lightroom. What, what do you shoot camera wise? You know, you know, I, I did something a few years ago. And I think, again, this was all turned in 40. I was Canon my whole life. AE1 to A1 to 60D to a 20D to a 5D to a 1D Mark III. Yep. And I ended up to the point where I had four L lenses. I had an 85 1.2 and a 16 35 wow. and just beautiful lenses. And I sold it all for Nikon. Nice. Look at I that. Just, I just dumped now it. Now you're really coming on the show as a guest. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So Nikon D3, um, I got when it was the top of the line and now they've got a couple of more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I've got a D7000 I picked up last year, which has been great. I love that thing. Yeah, I have one of those as well. Yeah, and a D90 I have as well. Nice. Uh, right. Got my old Mia, and I got a Polaroid, and I've got a little tiny Leica. That's awesome. You know. You're the photographer's photographer. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Very cool. So, yeah. Right, but well, where but, can where can people go to like keep up with you and check out your work? And I know you got a bunch of trainings online. Give us a give us. Is there one place where people can go to get the whole brunt of what you're about? You know, I honestly I've been thinking about trying to consolidate a website, but it's hard to do. But the photography site, since we're talking about it, is Ablin Gallery. Mm-hmm. A lot of people say Alden, but it's not. It's Ablin, A-B-L-A-N, mm-hmm. AblinGallery.com. However, if they type in Alden Gallery, it will forward because people you do got that smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so AblinGallery.com is uh, the photography site. And uh, AGA Digital is the main company that 3D Garage, our training site, and Ablin Gallery are part of. Okay. Got it. So those two sites, AblinGallery.com and AGA Digital? Correct. Got it. Excellent. All right. Well, Dan, thank you for uh, for taking the time to chat with me. It's been educational. Thank you for listening to me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Thanks a lot, Dan. All right. Okay. You can learn more about Dan by heading over to his website at AblinGallery.com. We'll put links to his various sites um, in the blog post for this episode. And he's also on the various social networking sites. All right, guys, it's time for some listener Q&A. This is the segment when our guests, that's you guys, answer questions that have come in via our Facebook group, Twitter, or our Google Plus page. Question number one. I'm going to throw this to you, Derek. You want to take this one? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Our reader here, uh, Robert, is a heavy industrial pipe welder with a love of photography. And he wants to be able to get some shots of his work, but because of the nature of what he does, he can't carry around a big DSLR. So he's just asking, um, you know, are there smaller cameras that shoot raw? And, uh, you know, so that he can edit the pics the way that he wants. And uh, definitely, yes. I I mean, this has been a nice trend lately. And uh, there are a number of small cameras. First of all, all the the micro four-thirds cameras uh, uh capture and raw and the um, you know the nex the sony nex and yeah. these are system cameras that allow you 
to change the lenses and so forth. And then if you really want to get small, something like the Canon S100, which is a, a, a very, it's like a deck of, deck of cards size camera. Yeah. And uh, it takes terrific pictures and uh, captures in RAW format. So you can use your favorite uh, image editor. So there are some very nice options out there. Uh, times are good right now in photography that way. Very cool. All right, question number two is from Roy Rose, and Roy says, I'm writing to ask if you could give a talk on using old lenses on newer Canon DSLRs. I read something a while back about using an M42 adapter, he's guessing, um, to put old manual lenses on his Canon 50D. And I want to put this out to both of you guys, and we'll start with you, Steve, on the Nikon side. So using older non-autofocus lenses on a newer camera body do you do you have any older lenses in your bag um i personally don't but i know that uh you know the the one thing about the nikon system is that you can uh use a lens from 1959 on your d4 and it'll still work you know which is quite amazing the f mount um you know has been with us uh, since 1959 and the newer digital cameras allow you to put on um uh, an older lens now granted you know, there are degrees of, of old, like the original lenses from 59. Of course, they're all manual focus. Yeah. Um, and no no AF, of course, right? Uh, no no autofocus yeah. and no none of that magic, like, image stabilization or any of that, right? No, that's true. But, you know, you know, some of those lenses were just so amazingly sharp. You know, the legendary 105 2.5. And if it's an AI or AIS lens, um, the new digital bodies uh, allow you to um, go into the menu system and put that that lens um, on the camera, uh, plug in uh, its maximum aperture, its, its maximum focal length, and once you do, and you can plug in up to nine old lenses, and once you do, every time you put that lens on your camera, uh, you can use it. And it's got an aperture ring. You guys remember aperture rings? Mm -hmm. you, can, you can keep it an aperture priority and just turn the ring the way we used to, and it works, you know, an aperture priority. So, um, you know, really, uh, uh, there's there's some great deals with some beautiful glass if you don't mind manually focusing. And then, of course, there's the the original you know D lenses, which again are are fantastic. So so it makes sense, uh, you know, from a monetary point of view, to to you know get a great deal on on some great glass and and see how they work. Yeah, and where do you where do you fall on that, Derek? If he wants to throw some. Some old glass on a newfangled Canon DSLR. What, what are his options? Oh uh, yeah, I mean, I I do this all the time. I love this. I I have uh, a collection of Zeiss Prime lenses that I used uh, when I had contacts bodies, and uh, I I always kept the glass. And uh, I I just get adapters. I use them on my Olympus pens. Uh, I use them on the Canon cameras. Very much like Steve says, you use the aperture ring. And uh, you don't get any the, – the one thing about it is you don't get any metadata, any lens metadata. So if you want to know what aperture and so forth you were shooting at, uh, a lot of times you have to enter that in yourself later on. But, you know, the thing about it, especially on a, a cropped sensor camera, mm. uh, like a Micro Four Thirds or an APS-C sensor, uh, you know, you're really dealing with the sweet spot of that lens anyway because they were designed for full frame. And uh, you can get quite good performance. And, you know, a lot of times older lenses have the good ones, uh, have a certain quality about them that uh, maybe you can't get with a modern lens. So I just think it's great fun. I do it all the time. Uh, 
one of my little things that I like to do is is take a Zeiss lens and put it in the bottom of my backpack and then take a micro four thirds camera to uh, events where I don't have a press pass. And then I have uh, like a 270 millimeter F2.8 lens <laughs> that I can, that I can shoot with. And I don't mind manually focusing myself. Um, you know, I, I think it's, I, I came up shooting sports that way, so it doesn't yeah. bother me at all. So let, let me throw this to both of you guys. Um, does it make sense for the budget-minded photographer, which I would assume is about 99.9% of us, um, to be looking to places like eBay and Craigslist or whatever to find used lenses for our cameras? Or are lenses – the other side of that is lenses are – a piece of hardware that you're going to keep forever and it makes sense to just wait a while longer to buy it new. Where do you, where do you fall on that, Steve? Well, I think that, um, you know, it used to be you had uh, an SLR and you had interchangeable lenses, but I often say now that uh, basically you have lenses and interchangeable cameras because mm. when you have a good lens and it makes sense to invest in a good lens, you'll have it your whole photographic life. So, there's no downside to kind of investing in, you know, a, a nice piece of glass that's fast. You'll see a difference. I mean, you'll, you'll often see a difference um, when you, when you uh, sort of don't skimp on the, on the lenses. But that said, um, there's so many great lenses out there, and they're not necessarily all the latest greatest. I mean, sure, it'd be fun to have everything brand new, but there's a lot of great, great uh, deals in, in buying sort of used lenses if you can manually focus. I, I, I like the autofocus system. I, I don't trust my eyes manually focusing. I don't wear my glasses. It's a big pain in the butt. So, so I, I, I prefer to have autofocus. But uh, no question. And, and, you know, you're never sorry when you stay on brand. But that said, uh, there's a lot of great off-brand lenses as well. So you just have to, you know, read up on them a little bit. And in the end, you know, all that sort of, you know, sharpness thing is a little bit overrated because uh, it's just really about taking pictures and, making pictures and sometimes sharpness isn't really um you know going to be the deciding factor as to whether or not this is a, a great picture and if you look at some of the great photos that have become iconic um you look at it really up closely in the museum you may say hey you know that's not so sharp yeah yeah what about you derek should should if, if a photographer here's a hypothetical situation a canon photographer is surfing on ebay and finds a you know, a fifty-one-two floating around up there, and it's going for three hundred bucks. What what should he do? Well, at three hundred bucks, I, I probably wouldn't go for it because it's, <laughs> it's probably hot. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I, I have a couple lenses that I that I bought used. Uh, my actually my seventy to two hundred f two eight I bought used and got a really good deal on it from someone that took very good care of it. Uh, I, I wouldn't buy any lenses from Steve Simon or any other uh, hardworking photojournalist. Anybody because, that goes to places with lots of sand it, like yeah, Dubai. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because, you know, they're, they're, they're hard on their glass. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, but uh, I would say that buying these gear is good. And, boy, especially when you buy one down. Like, for instance, uh, the price just dropped on, we were talking earlier about the 24 to 70 F2.8 Canon L Zoom. The price has dropped on the original one, uh, and you can get it brand new uh, with warranty for, uh, I think, around uh, $1,200 now, which is uh, a good price on that lens. And, uh, you know, the new one is, uh, you know, is almost twice that much. So, yeah, 
Yeah, shop around. But, you know, the thing is, common sense, right? If the price looks too good to be true, there's a reason for it. Probably is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to continue that that line of discussion, Derek. I know we were we were talking through email that at some point we're going to do a show or some sort of thing on used gear. Um, yes, and yes. Just the alternatives and things to look out for um, with regard to used gear down the path of hey, you don't have to buy everything brand new, especially in this in this industry. Okay, um, it's time for the pick of the week segment. This is when. You guys give a pick. It can be anything as long as it is somehow related to photography. Steve, you you want to give a pick a week? I'm I'm assuming your pick is going to be Gulf Photo Gulf Photo Plus, right? Yeah, I'll ask people to look into GulfPhotoPlus.com uh, dot com and uh, hopefully that uh, shootout uh, with Gregory Heisler, David Hobby, the Strobis, and Martin Brohada, um with Joe McNally and Zach Arias and David Burnett doing the play by play. By the way. Um, yeah, that was the other thing. I mean, not only are you shooting with 200 eyes, sorry, 400 eyes staring at you as you're trying to come up with a self-portrait, wow. uh, but then you've got uh, McNally and Arias sort of giving you a hard time while you're doing it. So it's actually very entertaining. I, I hope it comes online soon. If it's not up by the time you hear this, uh, keep a, an eye out for it. They should, uh, definitely, that's, that's my pick they should name that the performance anxiety shootout because <laughs> I would definitely, oh I would definitely have oh a little God. performance anxiety on that one. <laughs> Steve, I should, right? oh, go ahead. I'm yeah. sorry. No, I was just going to say uh, after this, I'm I'm going to leave you because I I gotta I gotta I gotta go. But uh, what were you going to say, Derek? I'm just so glad you upgraded it to 400 eyes from uh, 200 eyes. <laughs> so I was thinking it was got a bunch of pirates in the, in the audience. There. Exactly, exactly. Well, actually, 396 eyes. But right. well, Steve, I know you. I know you got to run. You have another appointment like right now. Before you hang up, exactly. where where do you want people to go to check out the stuff that you're involved in? Um, well, you know, uh, uh, I guess my website, uh, Twitter, Twitter slash Steve Simon, and I'm in Montreal. I'm going to be doing some Nikonian workshops, including a passionate photographer workshop here in my old hometown of Montreal, Quebec, Canada. What a great city. It's, it's great to be back here. The food, this is what I love about Montreal. The food is just incredible. Very cool. All right, Steve, thanks for joining us today. I'm going to go eat right now. <laughs> All right, take care. See you later, Steve. See you, Steve. Okay, see you guys. All right, Derek, what, what's your, uh, your pick of the week? I'm actually going to go with a bag. You know, I usually try to stay away from that because, uh, uh, you know, I, I do work with Low Pro. Mm-hmm. But we, they have one out that is really affordable, really sharp looking, and it fits in with this thing that's happening with more and more of us where we're carrying an, a MacBook Air or an iPad with us. And, yeah. and we can just have the whole thing in this small, you know, this compact bag. So it's the... Uh, Low Pro Event Messenger 250, and it's a very it's a nice thin bag that doesn't look like a camera bag. It's a shoulder bag. It's very light. It's got a a great pocket on the inside for your MacBook Air or your or your iPad, and then it holds uh, not a professional DSLR because they're a little too tall, but it holds all the mid range ones like hmm. the you know the Canon 60D and D7000. D7000. Those it'll it holds those very nice. Plus room for um, you know a few lenses and a flash and uh, an extra hard drive and stuff in the front pocket. But it's very slim, very sleek, very urban looking, and you can get it for around seventy bucks. Uh, seventy bucks. I'm looking at this thing right now. That's seventy bucks. Yeah, and. Oh, and it's very well made. I've 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 been 
beating the heck out of one for a while now uh, when I've been testing it. And uh, I, I just really like it a lot. So uh, I thought it was a really good value, and it's very timely with uh, you know the kind of gear that we're carrying around these days. looks great when you're hanging out in the coffee shop, stuff like that. That is very cool. Yeah, I'm looking at it, like I said, and it, uh, yeah, it, it, you're, you're right. It definitely does not look like a camera bag. It just looks like a regular no. messenger bag with... You know, but when you flip it open and there's like five grand worth of gear in there. So, so yeah, exactly. So they they did this thing on uh, that I really like, which is they have what they call a silent system. Mm-hmm. So it it has a buckle to keep the flap down if you're really you know banging around. But if you're working, uh, it has these Velcro tabs. It's very ingenious. You can fold them one way, and the Velcro really keeps it closed, but you get the the rip sound yeah. uh, when you open it. But if you're doing an event or something and you want to stay quiet, then the Velcro actually folds back and it goes into silent mode so you can get in and out of the bag without making any noise at all. Oh. And I, I just thought that was really clever. I love it. I love it. Low, yeah. pro, low pro has definitely come – They've they're setting a standard because I know – Way back in the uh, the mid 1800s, when I was in the Air Force, <laughs> they uh, we were we had standardized. I don't know if they're still standardized on them, but uh, I remember everyone had low pro bags, you know, and yeah, they were beat to they were beat to all get out, but we had bat, you know, they were low pros and they still stood up. The Velcro still worked. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's just fun because you know, photography is changing and, and how we're carrying our gear is changing. And it's it's fun to see not only the new cameras and so forth, but also the new gear we have to to carry our stuff around is just as cool as the, as the gear itself. Yep. Yeah, I love yeah. it. You know, see, this is why this is such a cool, I mean, a cool industry to be in. You have everything from technology and software and hardware and now fashion <laughs> type fashion I'm accessories you. I'm telling you. then there's the psychology involved and there's models i mean come on you travel what else could you want you know well yeah just like you know, my family tells me when uh, they say you know everybody wants your job That's what yeah. they, say. You know, they want they want your job and I, they can't have it. it's my job you can't have it you I'm can't have it, it. Yeah. So my pick of the week, real quickly, is a little piece of software. I think it's like under five bucks or four ninety nine or something from the App Store. Um, it's called Moom, and that's M O O M. And you can find it at minitricks.com slash Moom, or just click over in, from the the show notes to it. And what this little piece of software is is, you know, when you're Derek, you're on your Mac, and at the top of your screen, you got those three little uh, like circles or spheres. Mm-hmm. One has an X, one has a minus, and another one has a plus in it. Um, when you roll your mouse over the plus after you install this piece of software, it gives you options on how to resize that window. Like you can say, I want to I make it encompass the full screen, the left half, the right half, the top or the bottom, which is really cool and really useful. But what I found the most useful is you can save presets. So you can say... Okay, um, like right now, for example, this is a perfect example. I'm in podcast mode. So I have my browser up. I have my Skype window. I have another window. All these different windows up. But I've arranged them meticulously. Perfect. How I want them on my display. And then I save that layout. So now whenever I do a podcast, I can hit the menu item, drag down to podcast layout, and everything snaps right into place exactly how I had it. That's very cool. Which is so awesome. you, you could do that for your photo workflow then too, right? Uh, yes, exactly. Yes. So like, yeah, wow. Which is the tie-in to the pick of the week. So. <laughs> So you could do it for any number of windows, whatever the application, whether it's photography yeah. related or not. You can definitely, you can definitely use it. So you know, I'm very, 
I'm very uh, cautious about what software, especially extensions and things that mess yeah. with the operating system that I put on my computer. But this one uh, came recommended from Don McAllister over at Screencasts Online. He actually did a screencast on this piece of software. And I got to tell you, I was watching him demo this and I was like, why? This is one of those things that you'll probably see in the next version of the Mac OS because it's just, mm-hmm. it's just okay. Of course we needed this. You know how did how yeah. did we live without it? Kind of thing. So yeah, definitely check it out. It's called Moom M O O M. You can just search for Moom in the App Store or click over to it from the blog post for this episode. Twip two four six. And I and I like the price too. It's a great under, price. under five bucks. You know. I, I know. I love right. that stuff. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. All right, we're at the end of another episode. We lost a, you know, we we lost someone along the way, but it's you and I, Derek, to close out the show. We <laughs> so, we can do it. We can do it. We we can do it, man. <laughs> Steve got what? tired of putting his nose on the <laughs> on the speaker grill there. I know we got to tell on Steve. <laughs> I'm telling the world. Steve did not have his regular microphone, uh, nor did he have a USB headset. So Steve was. Bless his heart. Steve was like, had his nose an inch away from the speaker on his MacBook Pro. <laughs> he was recording Twip 246. That's the dedication from Steve Simon we have. <laughs> he didn't really have an appointment. He just got tired of having his face. His computer was shorting out yeah. from the drool on his speaker. <laughs> so. All right, Derek, where, where would you like folks to go to, uh, to keep up with you and your goings on? Oh, please go over to thedigitalstory.com and uh, especially check out the workshops. Uh, I have just a great season lined up. We're going to go out to Infineon Raceway and shoot classic race cars and we're going to go up to Safari West and we're going to go out to Sonoma Coast and it's a wonderful season. So, you know, I mean, the podcast uh, every week and the post, but, uh, you know, so thedigitalstory.com and the Twitter feed goes through there as does uh, links to Facebook. Awesome. And I am joining you on one of those workshops, I think. Are you on the next one? You're coming. Yes. Yeah. And we're doing yes. macro photography and all sorts yes. of magic. Yeah. Stuff. We're going to do close up and we're going to do a lot of, in honor of you, we're going to do a lot of DIY uh, tricks, you know, for uh, close up photography and how to make your own little studio. People have told me, you know, I, yeah, I just want something I can set up in the dining room on Sunday and yep. do a bunch of work and then get it out of the way. And so we're going to, we're going to cover all that stuff. I love it. I love it. Yeah, Very yes. cool. Are there any spots left on that workshop? Yeah, we have uh, we have one, maybe two spots left, and uh, you can, if you're interested, it's a- April 21st and 22nd. Uh, just go to the the site, and if you go to the workshop page, we have a little box on there called you know send me info. Takes there's only three fields you have to fill out. It's like your name and your email and which workshop. Do that, and I'll I'll get right back to you. But uh, we still have I think one or two spots open on that one. All right, all right, Twip listeners, if you want to come, you know I'll be there. We'll be hanging out, and if you come, I will personally buy you a glass of wine in Derek's studio. Yes, because it, he it, has free wine. But uh, you know, it is going to be both of us working together. So that, I think that's going to be a lot of fun, Frederick. Yeah, that is going to be good. I'm looking forward yeah. to it. And, and I have a low pro bag for everyone that comes to the workshop too. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Wait, yeah, so. me too? Do I get one? Yeah. Well, yours is already earmarked, right? Awesome. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. All right, and uh, just to give Steve Simon his props, if you guys want to follow him, he's at Steve Simon Photo, like you were saying, or at Twitter.com/slash Steve Simon. 
And if you'd like to keep up with everything in the This Week in Photo universe, just head over to thisweekinphoto.com. And also, just a reminder, please support us by leaving us a comment on iTunes. We read each and every one of those, and they really help us guide the direction of the show to keep it relevant and on target for what the... uh, photographers are looking for in uh, in terms of us reporting on what's happening in the world of photography and also speaking of itunes be sure to check out the twip podcast app it's a handy way to keep up with the shows as soon as they are released and finally if you're looking for me frederick van johnson you can find me at my brand spanking new site mediabytes.com it's a marketing school for photographers and yeah yep it's awesome and i'm actually working on some content for them right after I, right after i hang up this call so uh with that it is time to take that lens cap off This Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.